chapter number 3. We'll be reading verses 13 down to verse 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 down to verse 18. I'll make mention of the fact uh, Brother Clement will be taking his son to this week go to Zambia. So if you have been familiar with their family, if you would like to give greetings to their son after the service, I'm sure that that would mean a lot. Spoke with Clement before the service. He's going to be about two months getting things settled in Africa. Peggy will be here with the other boys. I might encourage ladies, get in touch with Peggy and be an encouragement to her. James chapter 3, we'll read verses 13 down to verse 18. James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Ryan, I appreciate the special this morning, and I might encourage you, if you'd like to sing a special, please just see Brother Eric, and we'll make sure that we get you on the schedule. And uh, my apologies, I forgot to make sure that he got mic'd up, so if you didn't get to hear that in the back, I promise it was good from the front. (laughs) We'll be in the book of James chapter 3 this morning. If you could turn with me, hold your place in James 3, and then look over to Proverbs chapter 4. I'd like to start in Proverbs 4. Look at a portion in Proverbs chapter 4 before we get into James chapter 3. James will speak on earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom in our passage today. And Solomon writes about wisdom in the book of Proverbs. In fact, the entire book of Proverbs is about wisdom. God gave a gift of wisdom to Solomon. Scripture says that he was the wisest man to ever live. He wrote some 1,005 songs and 3,000 proverbs. He was certainly gifted with wisdom. If you're there at Proverbs chapter 4, I'd like to read verse 5 down to verse 13, and I want you to listen to the words that he says about wisdom. Verse number 5, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. 
Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. You hear the words that Solomon says to his son. Son, grab wisdom. Get a hold of wisdom. It is the principal thing. Do you hear the phrases that he says? Verse 5, get wisdom. Forget it not. Verse 6, forsake her not. Love her. Verse 7, get wisdom. I hope you hear these words over and over being repeated. Get wisdom. You need it. Take fast hold, he says in verse 13. Take fast hold. And then look at some of the benefits. There are benefits of having wisdom. You can see the benefits. Uh, Verse number 6, she shall preserve thee. Verse 8, she shall promote thee. Uh, She'll bring you to honor. Verse 9, she shall give to your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she'll give to you. Verse 12, when you run, you'll not stumble. Verse 13, she is your life. Get wisdom. Young people, I want you to hear the words of Solomon that he said to his son. Oh, get wisdom. As we see in the book of James today, There's a right kind of wisdom that you need to have. And oh, how easy it is for us to think that if I just follow earthly wisdom, I'll be okay. I want you to think, before we go to James, I want you to think about Solomon and the wisdom that God gave to him. David was his dad. You remember King David. David was his dad, and David was a conquering king. That guy from the first time you meet him, slaying Goliath as a young boy, slaying Goliath, he's a man given to battles. In fact, God called him, you are a bloody man. He conquered a lot of people, defeated the Philistines. He brought peace for the nation of Israel, ran off the Jebusites, established the city that was called now Jerusalem. It used to be under the rule of a different people. He ran them off, conquered that area, established Jerusalem, put his throne there. Here's David. You see, when you have to fight battles, you concentrate on survival. But when you're at peace, like Solomon... The majority of Solomon's reign was peace. He gets to give himself over to wisdom. I don't know that David was lacking in wisdom, but he had to worry about surviving. He's on the run for the majority of the first half of his life, and then he's continuing to conquer, even facing off against a civil war from one of his oldest sons. David had to give his life over to survival. Solomon gets to give his life over to wisdom. Few of us are in battles. I might implore us, give our minds to wisdom. Come this morning with me back to the book of James now. Get wisdom, was Solomon's words. In James chapter 3, we're going to see a contrast between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Uh, Before we read verse 13, I want to remind you the overarching theme for the book of James has been examine your faith. James is writing to believers that he used to pastor in Jerusalem. They've been scattered abroad. According to Acts chapter 8, they were scattered abroad due to persecution. As many as perhaps 50,000 believers there in Jerusalem in that time, they've now been scattered. The only ones that are left in Jerusalem are the apostles. James now writes to these believers, and overarchingly he has said all throughout this book, examine your faith. 
see whether you're in the faith or not. Make sure that your faith and your salvation is not only in word, but it should be also in deed. How you act will be a reflection of what you actually believe. And he's given us, throughout the book, will be ten different tests. Today is the sixth one. And that sixth test is this. The way you act will be a reflection of the wisdom that's in your heart. So do you act after a worldly wisdom, an earthly wisdom, or do you act after a heavenly wisdom? And that heavenly wisdom will be in your heart as a reflection of what you believe about God. Look at verse number 13 with me, and we'll see an introduction to heavenly wisdom here. Verse number 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. I say that wisdom comes from your heart, and I say that because of a phrase in verse 14. I'll unpack verse 14 in a minute, but I just want you to glance into verse 14 and see how wisdom ties together with the heart. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. You see, the reflection of what's going on in your heart is what happens with the wisdom and how you act in your life. I'll read verse 13 again, and I want you to hear the words. I will admit, verse 13's words are a little heavy when we hear them in modern English. So let me read verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him, that wise man, let him show out of a good conversation or his manner of living. The old English word conversation is your lifestyle, the way you live. So then let him, that wise man, show out of a good manner of life his works with meekness of wisdom. If I were to summarize that, I would summarize verse 1 like this. Heavenly wisdom is shown in a godly life with a spirit of meekness. Heavenly wisdom is shown in a godly life with a spirit of meekness. Meekness is gentleness and humility. There's going to be a way that you live your life if you have true heavenly wisdom. If God is doing a work through your life, then you're going to see those actions come out in your life. It's going to be a godly life that's exemplified for other people to see. They will see, hey, this guy, this lady is living right. They've got true heavenly wisdom, and it's being shown in the way they live. And note also that it is with a lifestyle, a spirit of meekness. That was the word that was used in verse 13. Meekness. In other words, you're not going to have a godly life and you're not going to use that to beat people over the head and say, oh, see how godly I am? There's no space for that. True wisdom, godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom is going to be shown out in your life with a spirit of meekness and a godly lifestyle. Before we go much further, I think it's worth unpacking what is wisdom. Wisdom plays together with things like experience and knowledge, discernment, all of those words kind of come together. I've heard it said like this, knowledge is knowing stuff, but wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge. You can learn things, but then just because you got the knowledge doesn't mean that you're necessarily wise. I can say it this way, somebody can have a PhD and still be a fool. 
You can have knowledge without being wise. Wisdom takes that knowledge and then shows, okay, this is how I apply it and use it in life. Uh, Perhaps a simple example would be one man jumps into a cage with a lion and goes over to pet the lion. We would say he's a fool. But another man jumps into a cage with a lion, tosses a piece of meat over to the other side and saves a child's life who has child has fallen into the cage we would then say that man was wise and yet we would not say a man who stands on the outside of the cage and says somebody needs to rescue the child we would not say he's wise we'd just say yeah that's right you see there's different levels takes into account many different things knowledge and experience and discernment I think that John Piper gave a good example or a good definition for true heavenly wisdom. Here's the way that John Piper said it. He said like this, True wisdom is the knowledge and the insight and the resolve that successfully leads to full and everlasting joy. You see different levels here. There's knowledge. I know what I'm supposed to do. And then there's insights, and you and I might call that discernment. Knowing, yes, this is what's supposed to happen, and then maybe that insight or that discernment is when it should happen, and then resolve is the courage to actually follow through and make it happen. And then I notice that he adds to the end of the definition the words that leads to full and everlasting joy. You see, true heavenly wisdom leads us to more than just joy for this moment. It leads us to joy that's everlasting. Friend, I hope that the way you're living your life is not just so that you can have joy today or joy this week, but it's going to be everlasting joy. Everlasting joy is found at the right hand of the Father. You see, there's pleasure and there's happiness to be found in sin for a season, but there's full and everlasting joy to be found at the right hand of our Heavenly Father. Please don't be mistaken. Don't think that joy is wisdom. Joy in itself and happiness in itself is not wisdom. Proverbs 15 and verse 21 says, Folly is a joy to him that is destitute of wisdom. The man that does not have wisdom, he finds joy and he thinks that joy is wisdom. No, it's folly. And I see that played out in everyday life many different ways. Perhaps as a corporate executive, a person who is not living by true heavenly wisdom, a corporate executive would have no problem stepping on people as he works his way up the corporate ladder. Or perhaps a person who is a gambler will go into debt, spend the family's grocery money in order to get the next high from a little win. Or maybe a proud brawler will berate his wife for not having cooked the food fast enough so that he can show himself to be strong and get a little bit of a foolish high off of that. That's not wisdom. Maybe even a musician, in an attempt to gain accolades and be spoken well of, will write and rewrite and rewrite a song until they find the right words. Nothing wrong with that, but what's the motivation behind it? 
It's possible to have earthly wisdom that does not lead to everlasting joy. So then that brings me to this question. How do I get that wisdom? I hope that you hear the words of Solomon this morning. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Hold on to it. It will be a crown to you. And so maybe you might ask the next question. How do I get wisdom? And there's about five of them that I see in Scripture. So let me walk through them and then we'll come back to the book of James. How do I get wisdom? Uh, Number one, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. I see this in the book of James. We saw this just a few weeks ago. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any man lack wisdom... Oh, sorry. uh, Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is an amazing thought. If you think about this, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. I want wisdom, but in order to get wisdom, I need to fear the Lord. What does that mean? If you look through the Old Testament, think about the Old Testament and how people interacted with God. You look at God and you see Him as high and holy. The only response that you can have is, I'm going to come before you bowing humbly. I want to see Him as high and holy. I will fear Him. You say, but no, we should come boldly before Him. You only get to come boldly before Him because of what Christ has done on the cross. You don't get to come boldly before Him in your own righteousness, for your own righteousness is but filthy rags. So the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. You want to know what it means to truly be wise? Start off with the fear of the Lord. You might question His very existence. Perhaps you're here this morning and you question the very existence of God. You say, I've never seen Him. How do I know that He exists? I want to ask you another question. Have you ever seen the King of England? You don't question His existence. Why would you question the sovereign of the universe? Oh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's not all of wisdom, but it's the beginning of wisdom. So then what follows hard after that? Fear the Lord, and then I see second, come to Christ. Because you fear the Lord, you've realized that your sin is an affront against God. You realize that His wrath abides upon your sin. Romans chapter 1 says that the wrath of God is heaped up. I can, in my mind, I imagine a giant dam holding back massive amounts of water. And if that dam were to break, the crushing power that would come from that should be terrifying. And Romans chapter 1 says that the wrath of God is heaped up and reserved against the day of reckoning. And one day He will release His hand that has held back that wrath. And that wrath will be unleashed upon sinful men. There is but one place that you can hide from the wrath of God. And that is in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ went to the cross... 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, took all of our sin upon Himself. He made Christ to be sin for us. That's the Gospel. And so Jesus took my sin on the cross, and what am I left to do? Romans 3.25, God has made Him to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a gift that turns away wrath. 
In the very definition of the word, I see what God has done with Christ. He put Him on the cross to take my sin and take God's wrath upon my sin. So if I'm going to fear God, the beginning of wisdom, if I'm going to fear God, the only natural next step to do is come to Christ. I will trust in Him. I will flee from my own love of sin and I will cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I will hide in Him. Now listen to the words of Colossians. The Apostle Paul writes this. Colossians chapter 2. This is the end of verse 2 leading into verse 3. Of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you get to come to Him. I want wisdom, Lord. I want wisdom. So I'm going to come to Christ. I fear God. I'm going to come to Christ. And in Christ is found all the treasures of wisdom. Oh, I hope you don't think that you can find wisdom in some fleeting pleasure of this earth. Knowledge and experience come by being with someone who knows. I'll use example. 2003, we moved to Kodidanga. I had never done any kind of construction work in my life. Now, background prior to that, aviation training, had my commercial pilot's license, yes. I was a licensed aircraft maintenance engineer. So I know how to work on airplanes, fix the engines, repair the wings, all of that sort of thing. I knew how to use tools, but I'd never built a house. I'd never done carpentry work. But I figured, how hard can it be? And so I needed some help to build my house. So what I did was I hired two carpenters. One carpenter to build the house, the other one to teach me how to build a house. Because I knew that after this one will come another one and another one and another one. So I might as well learn. And so the first one, he's up there building and the other one, he's like, hold the hammer just like this. See the nail? We had to do these little drills together. He made me. It's before I could climb up on the ladder. And some of you are saying, Pastor, get off the ladder. And so here's this, learn how to do that. 11 years later, move here to Port Moresby. It's time to build a house here. The last thing I want to do is go and spend a whole bunch of money and hire somebody to come and do it if I can do it myself. But the problem was I'd never worked with concrete before because you see out in Kodidanga, there's no such thing as a concrete truck. <laughs> and so I'm up here on the hillside and I did two things. I hired a guy that knows how to lay brick. I said, you're going to work alongside of me. You're going to show me how to lay brick. And the second thing, I watched YouTube, 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 YouTube. (laughs) And those of you guys that work close with me, when you come to me and you say, I don't know how to do this, you already know what my answer is. Go to YouTube. (laughs) Built the house. I'd never done gyp rock before. YouTube. I'd never pulled electrical wires. YouTube. Watch the whole thing. Built the whole house. And poor Luke is sitting back here going, oh no, he's letting out all the secrets. (laughs) You see, if you want knowledge and you want wisdom, you go to somebody that has it. And in this idea, if I want wisdom, I'm going to fear God and I'm going to go to Christ who has wisdom. I'm going to get as close as I can to Him 
for the Lord Jesus Christ is in Him is the treasures of wisdom. And then we follow on. The third one after that is that I follow the words of God. Follow the words of God. Now listen to these words because I think that you know the rest of this story. So I'll just give you the beginning of it. This is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And I'll skip the song because you already know it. But here's what Jesus just said. If you hear my words and you do my words, you're like a wise man. So what's that telling me? That's telling me that if I want wisdom, I need to fear God and I need to get close to Christ and I need to follow His words. You see, following the words of Christ is important. And then I let the Word of God do its work within my heart. Do you remember the words of James just a few weeks ago? If any man be a hearer of the Word and not a doer of it, he's like the one who goes and looks at the mirror. And you remember what that mirror was like. Ancient mirrors... Not like today's mirrors. That ancient mirror was just a silver platter and you've got to shine it up really good and if you're going to look at yourself, you've got to get the light just right. You don't look at that mirror and walk away without making a change. And yet, the one who only hears and doesn't do is like the one that shines up the mirror and does nothing about what he finds. But instead, he says, be a hearer and a doer. You see, what's happening with the actions in our life is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. Hear the words of Jesus at the heart level. Here's Matthew 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I wonder if you want the wisdom that comes from our Heavenly Father this morning. I wonder if you want the wisdom of God, heavenly wisdom in your life, you've got to get pure in your heart. I need to be right with Him. I need to follow Him. And then the fourth one I see is ask God for wisdom. This comes out of James 1. We were there just a few weeks ago. James chapter 1, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Do you hear the words that James writes to us? If you're lacking wisdom, then ask God for it. And He doesn't mock you. God doesn't sit back and say, you want Him kind beginning, you know, save. He doesn't do that. He doesn't upbraid us. Instead, He says, child, come. Come. I'll give you wisdom. I fear Him. I come close to Christ. I follow His words. I ask Him for wisdom. And then I hear Paul in Colossians 1, I hear Paul pray a prayer over believers. I might encourage you to pray this over your brothers and sisters. Here's Colossians 1 and verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day that we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, Paul says. I haven't stopped praying for you, believers at Colossae, and a desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul prayed for others to have wisdom. You and I can pray for each other to have wisdom. The fifth one in the list, before we get back to James, the fifth one is going to probably catch you a little bit off guard. I'll be honest, it's not one that we like to do very often. I'll say it, and then I'll show it to you in Scripture. Fifth one, think deeply about your own mortality. Think deeply about your own mortality. We usually don't like to do that. 
I don't like to think about the fact that I won't be around here in a hundred years. But let's be honest, if history has anything to say about it, in this room, a hundred years from now, all of us will be gone. It's worth, in the pursuit of wisdom, thinking about your own mortality. Listen to the words of Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. It's a prayer. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Lord, teach us to number our days. In other words, Lord, help me as I stop and pause and think about the fact that my days are not forever on this earth. What I will do with the remainder portion of my life will either have eternal significance but it'll have temporary significance. So teach us to number our days, and in numbering our days, we're going to apply our hearts to wisdom. I'll say it this way. When you're laying on the hospital bed with the ECG hooked up to you, and the doctor uses the words, you look like you're in an active heart attack, that's mentally clearing. A lot of little things fall off the plate when he says that. So teach us to number our days. Wisdom from the Lord. Come back with me into the James chapter 3 passage. There's heavenly wisdom that we have. We saw it in chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. There is heavenly wisdom, and then there's also earthly wisdom. Let me read verses 14 to 16 for you, and we'll see the earthly wisdom. Verse 14. But if we have bitter envying, strife in your hearts, glory not. Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. I I call it earthly wisdom because of verse 15. It says, this wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly. This is earthly wisdom. This would be the way that the natural man thinks. Apart from Christ, the natural man has a way that he thinks. What he thinks is wise. And yet, there's an easy way to identify that. The easy way to identify it is in verse 14 with the types of thoughts and actions that come out. You see the words in verse 14. You have bitter envying and strife in your heart. Maybe you're able to hide it and it doesn't come out all the way, but it's definitely there. Bitter envying. Uh, By the way, the, the writer here, James, he only uses the word bitter that we see there. He only uses it twice. Once was in this week's passage, once was in last week's passage. And you might remember last week's passage, can a fountain give water that is both bitter and sweet? And the answer is, of course not. We should definitely be on the sweet side. should have nothing to do with the bitter side. He says, but in your heart, are you exhibiting this kind of bitterness? And it's a bitter envying. You know what envying is, right? Envying is... I see what he's got, or I see what he's accomplished, or I see what she's doing, and I want that for myself, and I'm going to get bitter because I don't have that. 
Ime se tog jelesnog Marisa. Bitter envying. And sometimes it's oh so easy to see it when somebody puts it on a social media post. Sometimes it's oh so easy to see it. But oh how easy this sin can creep into our hearts. Bitter envying. Strife. I want that for myself. The word strife literally means electioneering and partisanship. And I'll just use it because it's such an easy, low-hanging fruit. It's very easy to use this, I think, because it's such a big part of our society. When I hear the words electioneering, I'll just use that because all of us, I think, understand that. Many nations around the world have elections and forget them shortly after. We don't. We live for it. Now you may stop with 2023, 2027 by We live for elections. We fight the last one for four and a half years, and then we just go ahead and switch into the next one and fight for the next one. And what do we see with this word striving? What do we see? The example is the guy who walks into a village, hasn't been there in five years, and when he shows up, and this is what I've done, and please, you have to... And he'll buy a couple of pigs to fill a couple of bellies for today, and then he moves on to the next village. You're not going to see him for another five years. And what's he doing? He's promoting himself and striving to put himself first. It's so easy to see that. But yet, here's the point. It's not, oh, how bad that is of those people. It's, oh, how bad it is in our hearts as we go about bitter envying and striving so that I can get to the front. I'm going to lift myself up. What kind of heart do we have? Am I living by heavenly wisdom or am I living by earthly wisdom and the whole point of having these six verses in the middle of this book is to say examine your faith what's happening in your life is a demonstration of what's going on in your heart he said it last week the words that are coming out of your mouth are a demonstration of what's going on in your heart and this week he's saying the way the the thoughts that are going through your mind are a demonstration of what's going on in your heart do i want what's good for them or do i want what's best for me strife bitter envy and i might just take a moment before we go further to be pastoral I'll echo the words of Paul Tripp. Do you see people as a vehicle and an obstacle? Or do you see them as image bearers of God? The vehicle. Here's what I mean. Do you see them as a vehicle? In other words, you see that person as a vehicle to help you get further along in life, and if so, you'll just apply flattery. Or do you see them as an obstacle getting in the way of you getting further in life? And if you just see them as an obstacle, you'll kick them to the side. Do you see them as a vehicle or an obstacle? Or do you see them as an image bearer of God? Be careful, brothers and sisters. Someone you're competing with. Jealousy. Strife. Envy. Bitter. Where's that come from? Shows us in verse 15, this wisdom descends not from above. Absolutely not. Where does it come from? It does not come from above, but it's earthly. In other words, it's made of this world. 
It's the natural man's way of thinking. It's earthly. It's sensual. The word sensual, literally, of the body. It's the flesh. It's driven by your body's desires. It's sensual. It's devilish, literally demonic, of the devil. These are the very things that you and I as Christians should be fighting back against. The world, the flesh, and the devil, we should be fighting back against that, not adhering to it and letting it control our lives. And what are its results? You see that in verse 16. What are the results? For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Nothing good comes from it. If you're a believer, there should be a change in your life. There should be a change in the way you talk. There should be a change in the way you think. There's a change in your heart. There should be a way, different way that you're acting. Not like this. Not confusion. Not evil work. Now, he's going to do something here that he doesn't do very often. He's going to jump back to the heavenly wisdom. So look at verses 17 and 18, and he's going to show us the results of heavenly wisdom. This is verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I hope that some of those words in that phrase are causing your Christian mind to ring of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. I hope that the fruit of the Spirit list is coming through in your mind and echoing while you hear these words of verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first... It's important that he said it that way. It's first pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Friend, put wisdom aside. I hope that you're pursuing being pure in heart. I want to see God. I want to see God and I want to see Him work in my life and I want to see Him working in my relationships. How am I going to see Him? I'm going to be pure in my heart. And so, friend, if there's sin in your heart, you've got to clear that out. And the good news is, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so God, I'm going to get this out of the way because I want to be pure in heart so that I can see You. And so here, the, the fruit of this heavenly wisdom, the fruit is first pure. I want You, Lord, to do Your work in my heart your wisdom is pure. It's untainted by the world. And then it says it's then peaceable. Have you ever noticed that Christians who have heavenly wisdom are peaceful people? Not given over to strife? Friend, if you're living amongst strife, I beg of you, try to figure out what kind of wisdom are you living by. What's controlling your mind? If you're not living peaceably, there's a problem. Investigate. Examine your faith. And then he continues on in the list. Gentle. Easy to be entreated. Approachable. And when I hear the word gentle and easy to be entreated, I think of our Lord Jesus. 
These are descriptive words of the Lord Jesus of whom you and I have been called to follow. I'm going to be like Christ. Romans 8, 29, I'm being conformed to the image of God's dear Son. I'm being called to live and act like Him. And so as I see this list, I hear words like gentle and easy to be entreated. And I think of Jesus. You realize that the only time that He ever described Himself in the Gospels, He described Himself as, I am meek and lowly of heart. We find pride in saying the opposite about ourselves. I'm a strong man. And Jesus says, I'm meek and lowly. There's an example of this that I use regularly. So bear with me if you've heard me share this. In Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist was in prison. John had lived his life thinking and preaching. There's one coming after me. The Messiah is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. But in Luke chapter 7, John finds himself in prison, and if you know the rest of the story, John will be beheaded in prison. Things are not going to go well for John. And in his imprisonment, he's confused, and he's wondering, how does this line up? Is it possible that maybe I marked the wrong one? That I pointed Jesus and baptized Jesus and he wasn't the right one? And there's this Luke 7 moment where in discouragement, John sends two disciples to Jesus. And John is in prison. He sends those two disciples to Jesus and his words are, go and ask Jesus, are you the one? Or have I been mistaken? Those two guys come to Jesus and they ask, John just said this question and we want to take back an answer. And Jesus tells them, follow me. And for the space of an hour, the Bible says that for the space of an hour, Jesus walked through the crowd and he opened the ears of the deaf and he caused the lame to walk. He opened the mouth of the dumb and some with demonic spirits, he cast them out. And after an hour, he turned to those two disciples and he said, go back and see John and tell him, you've seen the ears of the deaf opened, the legs of the lame healed, the eyes of the blind, you've seen the captives hear the gospel. And he sent him back. You know what that is? That's gentle. Easy to be entreated. You know, Jesus could have said, who are you to question me? I'm the Son of God. But instead, Jesus said, follow me, boys. You're going to have to see this. And he walked through the crowd and healed and did amazing things so that John in prison would know, I didn't waste my time. John could go all the way to the point of having his head cut off. I don't know how this works. I didn't realize that this was the plan, but I am ready to go because I know that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Lord Jesus injects hope and life into our lives. And friend, far be it from us to lift ourselves up and try to push other people down. But instead, let us, like him, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Let us act like our Savior. Full of mercy, he continues the list. These are the ways we should be living, brothers and sisters. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. That's a throwback to a couple of chapters ago, wasn't it? 
without partiality. And friend, as I've thought on that passage, I think that for our society it goes beyond just who's got a gold finger, gold ring on his finger and fancy clothes to perhaps within our society where that guy came from. What tribe is he associated with without partiality? Without hypocrisy? I wonder what kind of fruit is coming from the wisdom that's in your life. Then verse 18, he closes this section. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Again, strangely worded verse. The fruit of righteousness is sown. You don't sow fruit. You reap fruit. You sow seeds. But you hear the words that he said, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. You call it fruit when you already expect it to come out. So as the man who lives in peace sows peace, he says, I'm sowing the fruit of righteousness. I'm giving peace, which is the fruit of righteousness. I'm sowing the fruit of righteousness into the lives of other people, and I'm expecting that there will be fruit of righteousness coming out of it. I opened the sermon with Solomon, and I'd like to conclude there. He said, get wisdom. Several times he said it in the book of Proverbs chapter 4. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She'll bring you to honor you embrace her. He wrote some 3,000 Proverbs. The wisest man, Scripture says, the wisest man to ever live. However, if you know Solomon's story as he began to age, he married heathen wives that introduced him to pagan gods. And he allowed his heart to wander away from the fear of the Lord. He built temples to pagan gods And we would say that by the time he comes to the end of his life, the fear of the Lord is not strong in his life. He began to wander from wisdom. It's no mistake that he wrote Proverbs 4 to his son. I don't know if you remember his son's story. Solomon's son is a guy by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam took over the throne after his dad died. When Solomon died, Rehoboam was then the next. He's the third in this dynasty. David's the first, then Solomon, now Rehoboam. He's the third. Granddad fought the wars. Dad enjoyed the peace. And now what's the grandson going to do? Perhaps you remember the story, but it went something like this. As soon as Rehoboam took the throne, some of the people of the kingdom came to Rehoboam and they said, O king, We're coming to you with a petition. Your dad in his closing days was a harsh man. He exacted taxes upon us that we could not pay. He made us to be servants in ways that we could not serve him. Please, Rehoboam, would you consider taking some of that burden off of us? Rehoboam's words were this. Give me three days. I want to think about this. Give me three days. In those three days, he sought the wisdom of the old men. The old men sat with them and they said, Rehoboam, if you will lighten their burden, they'll love you and serve you all your days. So I don't like that answer. Sent the old men away. 
He brought in some of his young friends. Guys, what do you think? They gave him the exact opposite answer. After three days, those people came back to meet with Rehoboam again. They asked him, what's your answer, Rehoboam? What will we do? And Rehoboam said like this. He said, if you thought my dad was harsh, you don't know harsh. He said, my dad, the strength of my dad's thigh is going to be the strength of my little finger. He said, my dad beat you with whips, I'll beat you with scorpions. He doubled down. My dad gave you yokes, I'll give you heavy yokes. Listen to me and I will lead you. You realize what Rehoboam was doing? He's lifting himself up. By the time the day was over, Ten tribes walked away from Israel. A split in the nation that to this day never was reunited. Ten tribes went off on their own and left him with just Judah and I'll say little Benjamin. Benjamin was just a tiny tribe. It had almost been decimated just about 150 years before. And so here it is. Rehoboam left with his own tribe, Judah. They don't even get to keep the name Israel. Israel goes with the other ten tribes. I look at Rehoboam, and I think, when you're fighting wars, you focus on survival. When you're at peace, you focus on wisdom. But when you don't know what that peace cost, you'll fall into bitter envying and strife. And oh, how Rehoboam fell into bitter envying. His dad had written to him specifically, Get wisdom. Son, get wisdom. And Rehoboam said, I want my kingdom. I'm going to set up my throne. And if it costs trampling other people, then I'll do it. Oh, Christian friend, we have no space for trampling other people. It doesn't exist in our lives. I'll echo James's words again this morning. Examine your faith. What kind of wisdom is flowing out of your heart and in your life that shows I'm following Jesus? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that we can spend together this morning in your word. I thank you that your word brings us to wisdom. Thank you that you've promised that if we would come to you asking for wisdom, you'd give it. You wouldn't mock us. Lord, I pray this morning that we would not find ourselves bitter envying and strife, walking away from the wisdom that comes from above. Instead, Lord, I pray that we would be exhibiting that pure, peaceable gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness. For it's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen. The Lord bless you, church. Have a good week.